My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 2, Episode 4 of Let's Not Meet, a True Horror Podcast. Throughout high school, my cluelessness and naivety rarely got me into trouble. In fact, I firmly believe now, as an adult, it probably saved me from a lot of potential misfortune. That doesn't mean it didn't also contribute heavily to a close call that I had with a real-life monster. Our math teacher, sophomore year, I found particularly annoying. One of those educators who always seemed to kind of be put out that she had to teach a class and made comments about how she felt like she was always babysitting. One saving grace was that my best friend Nick was in my class. I remember being grateful that I had a friend in class who would not only provide me with a sense of familiarity, but also was quite gifted with numbers and I figured it could help me ace my math course for once. On the first day, Nick and I walked to class, and when we saw that the room was set up with chairs and sets of two around the room, we were pleased and immediately sat down next to each other. Once that teacher entered, however, our hopes were dashed. She immediately organized us in alphabetical order, and Nick was now two rows behind me. On the other hand, there was no one next to me, so I thought, hey, I'll take it. About 15 minutes into class, the door opened behind me, and when the whole class turned to look, in walked the school weirdo. He was a tall goth kid who wandered the halls, blasting metal from his headphones, never speaking to anyone, and gave off a very finite, fuck-off vibe. His hair was dyed black, he had piercings and tattoos, and those unforgettable Jinko jeans. You know the kind. Our instructor asked his name, and when he stoically lifted his class schedule up so she could read it, she directed him to his chair. He sat next to me, not saying a word, music still blasting. He eventually shut off his headphones, removed them, and pulled out a pen, but no paper. I immediately hoped this kid wouldn't try to copy my work, or we would both fail class. Math has never been my strong suit, even though I was constantly mistaken for a smart kid. I don't remember how it happened, but over the next few weeks, we exchanged a few words, greetings at the beginning of class, updates about our weekends, and never more than what you would normally consider to be pleasantries between acquaintances. His name was Paul, and a few weeks before Christmas break, he confided during class that he was in love with me. I had no idea what to say. We weren't friends. We didn't hang out together outside of school. Had never exchanged phone numbers. Hadn't ever even waved hello in the hallway. How was he in love with me? Even though I had noticed his bright blue eyes and straight, intensely white smile, I hadn't ever thought of him that way. Hell, I considered it a great improvement that I wasn't completely terrified of him like all the other kids were. Even still, I blamed myself. I must have done something to make him think I was interested or that his feelings would be welcomed. I can't remember if I was more kind to him during this interaction than an adult version of myself would have been because I viewed directness as being rude 
or if I was still kind of scared of him. For the next 18 days of school before Christmas vacation, Paul asked me to be his girlfriend. Every single day he would ask, either during math class or on alternating days when we had different schedules. He would wait for me outside my British literature class and follow me to French, asking me over and over, begging. My friend Nick eventually became concerned and began walking me to class as much as he could. When he was otherwise engaged, he would send another one of our friends to look after me. It didn't deter Paul in the least. Two days before break, my best friend and I came up with a completely juvenile plan to solve the problem. I would say yes to Paul the day before break, and then break up with him two weeks later before school started again. He would get to call me his girlfriend for that time. I wouldn't have to see him, and everyone gets what they want, right? I enacted this plan, and it seemingly went off without a hitch. I did have to make the sacrifice of giving Paul my phone number, not considering any future issues this might cause. He called me every day and texted me constantly. I wouldn't always answer, and I would state that I was busy or got in trouble or had to turn my phone over to my parents when I did. I eventually ramped up my indifference and avoidance towards the end of the break and finally told him two days before we were to return to school that I didn't want to be his girlfriend anymore and that we were over. I hung up the phone. I felt guilty for being so callous. But it had to be done. It was like ripping off a band-aid. I went to school the following Monday. And after first period was over, I walked to math class with Nick, who was none too pleased about the plot my girlfriend and I had contrived to carry out. Everything seemed normal, aside from when I sat down next to Paul. He didn't look up or say anything to me. His In Flames record was blaring from his headphones. As the class started, the music turned off and he took out his headphones. Wanting to potentially test the waters or apologize in some small way, I sort of nudged his arm and said, Hey, how's it going? He jerked his arm away, as though I had burned him. And after he sat staring forward for a minute or two, he looked at me and said, I love you, but that's never going to be enough for girls like you. He reached down into his shabby black backpack that was sitting on the floor, propped up next to the legs of the desk. He came back up a few seconds later with a paper clip. I sat looking forward but watching him out of my periphery. He unfolded the paper clip into a straight wire, rolled up his sleeve and started cutting himself. Cutting might not be the correct word for what a paper clip does to your skin, but in any case he sat there for a while sawing at his arm with the pointy end of the paper clip and then quickly rolled his sleeves back down. I was completely freaked out. When the bell rang and class was over, Paul got up quickly, grabbed his bag, and then while turning to look back at me, rolled up his sleeve and shoved his forearm in my face. My name was now carved into his skin. Finals were over two weeks later and the new schedule began the following semester. I didn't see Paul much after that, aside from the few times in the hall when he would be sulking in the black hallways under the stairs with some other goth metal kids. I figured it was over. Six years later, I was at work one day when my phone rang. It was an area code from a neighboring town about an hour away. I ignored it 
thinking it was a debt collector or a wrong number. It rang again and again and again. I finally stepped out of my office aggravated and answered. Hello? Hey, it's me. Who? Look, I'm kind of in some trouble. If I sell my truck for some cash today, can you come get me and we can just take off somewhere, please? Wait, who is this? It's me. I don't know who the fuck this is. It's Paul. I was completely dumbfounded. I hung up. He then texted me the same message asking for help and telling me it was time for us to run away together. I told him frankly I had no idea why he would think that this was something I'd be into since I hadn't even talked to him or seen him in such a long time. He seemed irritated with me and started explaining about how I had always been the one, as if it would trigger some long dormant passion for him I had simply not yet realized. He even told me about how often he spoke of me to his long-term girlfriend, and when he decided he could no longer fake it, after two years with her, he concocted a story about an illicit affair he and I had been having behind her back. He figured this fabrication was the most logical way to rid himself of her affections permanently. I was shocked. I was scared. He had fictionalized an entire relationship between us, full of stories and romantic meetings. An unrequited love story that we had both been waiting anxiously to make work one day when the timing finally allowed. Now I was being called upon to make his fantasies a reality. Thankfully, I remained firm in my resolution to ensure beyond a shadow of a doubt that he absolutely understood that I was not interested. I was sick of this shit. This time he would understand that no amount of courtship or time was going to change the way I felt, or rather, didn't feel. I texted back, Paul, I'm sorry that you seem to be having a rough time. I hope you can figure things out, but I want nothing to do with whatever you're involving me in. I apologize if I've given you any ideas that I'm interested in you romantically. I want to be clear, I am not. Please do not contact me again, and good luck with everything. I was proud of myself. I even called my phone service provider to have his number blocked. This was back in ancient times when you couldn't do it yourself. I moved on with my life, got married moved north of the city, and forgot about Paul. Last year, I received a text from Nick. Holy shit, have you seen this? I had to make sure it wasn't you. What followed was a link to a news story. I clicked on it. Paul had been arrested for kidnapping a woman from a Starbucks, driving her around while sexually assaulting her multiple times. While stopped at a gas station, the woman was able to mouth for help to an attendant, and the police were called. He has been charged with eight counts of aggravated sexual assault, attempted murder, and second-degree kidnapping, amongst other charges. He is now awaiting trial in the Supermax facility in Colorado. You're probably asking yourself, why Supermax? Paul also had two pre-existing sexual assault convictions of underage girls. This is his third offense. I immediately clicked on a link in the news story that took me to the prison inmate search page. I typed in his name and upon seeing his mugshot, 
and those piercing eyes. I got chills, although none quite as intense as the shudder I felt when reading through his notable tattoos and markings, one of which reads, in scarring, Anna on his right forearm. Paul, let's never meet again. When I was about 14, I lived in a small town. My dad was there on a temporary assignment. It was the summer of my eighth grade year, and we were about to move back to the city. I had a friend, Lawrence, who I met at the local middle school. Since my family was leaving in a couple of weeks, I stayed the night over at Lawrence's house. Lawrence was a cool guy, but always tried to act tougher than he really was. That morning, Lawrence tells me that he found a cave in the woods about two miles out and said, we should go exploring. In my naive 14-year-old mind, I thought it was a great idea. I mean, what was the worst that could happen? It's also important to note that my friend had not been inside this cave yet. So we went to the location. It's pretty far into the woods and very hidden. When we walk in, we discover that other people had been there before. We see beer bottles, potato chip bags, and other convenience store junk. Then a little further into the cave, we stumble upon this one area. This is when my nerves started jumping. The area had a putrid smell and was lined with garbage. I saw a few needles. At the time, I didn't know what they were for. Then I saw a grocery bag that seemed to be their portable outhouse and a makeshift bed. Someone was living there. I know there are homeless people in the area, but uh, I'm on high alert at this point. I saw some other stuff that I later came to realize were sex toys, which consisted of a ball gag, some rope, anal beads, among other things. I'm getting nervous at this point. We were in a potentially crazy homeless person's den. The next thing that I found was beyond creepy. It looked like a photo album. I picked up this album with one hand and held the flashlight with my other trembling. First thing I saw looked like vintage photos of a prison. However, when I saw a picture of a pile of bodies, I immediately recognized that this was a Holocaust photo because one of them was wearing a star on his uniform. The whole page looked like graphic concentration camp photos. When I tried to flip the page, I noticed that the next two pages were stuck together. Then I saw some wet, gooey substance. I took a second to register what I was seeing. Keep in mind, I was only 14 at the time. Then it hit me like a bag of bricks. This person was masturbating to these pictures. I froze in sheer terror because I could never imagine anyone being that fucked up. It's hard to describe the other feeling I had, but it's the feeling you get when you experienced evil in its purest form. At this time, my nerves went from nine to about 20. I see Lawrence right behind me. Before I was worried that 
If I told him we needed to leave, he would call me a pussy. At this point, I didn't care. I said, we need to get out now. To my surprise, he simply said, good idea. And we left. I didn't stop running until we got home. I realized when we got back to his house, he had the look of pure dread on his face. I told him about the book, then he told me what he found. It was another photo book with pictures of women, gagged and bound. There was also a picture that looked like a child with a badly burned face. He then heard the sound of someone coughing and moving further down into the cave. I didn't hear it. That's when he came over to me and was about to tell me we should run. We finally told his parents later that day. The police were called, but the only thing that they found was trash. Naturally, nothing came of it. So, creepy holocaust burn victim masturbator, let's never meet in this lifetime or the next. This happened to me about a month ago. For some context, I'm a woman in my mid-twenties who lives alone in a cozy flat in the attic area of an old Victorian building. It was the old servants' quarters. I guess that's where I belong. The design of the roof hanging over my window and the high driveway walls means that I get some interesting acoustics. During the night, when it's quiet, the sounds bounce up from the whole long street, even from out of sight and I can hear the footsteps and conversations of passerby as crystal clear as if they were in the room with me. Yet standing down on the drive, you can't hear them at all. It was almost 4 a.m. and pitch dark outside. I had been finding it hard to sleep properly the last few nights, so I was still up and pottering around in my PJs with the lights on. I had a window cracked and the blinds half open to get some fresh air in. I usually keep them closed if I have a light on at night. You can see right up into the room from the street and the houses across, which I sadly did not realize for my first couple of months while living there. Sorry neighbors if you saw me dancing around and cooking in my underwear. However, I was so flustered from not getting to sleep and desperate for air, I thought everybody else would be snoozing. I had done the same thing for the previous three or four nights. Sleepless nights. I had just made some tea and settled down to read a book when I heard my door buzzer ringing. I remember thinking that it was odd that I had not heard anybody approaching as I was just sat by the window, but I brushed it off as being sleep-deprived. Nobody who visits me ever rings the door buzzer. They call me on my phone. So I grabbed my phone to check if I had missed something from a friend or family. No, there was nothing. I ran to the window to look down at the porch, but unfortunately I could only see the steps leading up to it. The motion sensor light was on and I could hear a strange scuffling noise, and then some thuds. I figured somebody had called the wrong flat by mistake and was probably drunkenly stumbling around. Even with my rational explanation, a strange sense of unease overwhelmed me. I felt on edge after I heard the thuds and turned my lights off so that I could gop 
through the windows and the blinds without being seen. But unfortunately, I couldn't see much. After a few minutes, the noises stopped and the motion sensor lights turned off. Although I didn't see anybody come back down the steps, I figured I'd either missed them in the dark or the person they were looking for had let them in. After 20 minutes or so, I relaxed and turned my lamp back on to potter around again. About a minute later, my buzzer rang again. This time it was ringing repeatedly, as if someone was aggressively holding the button down. I froze and stared at it for a while, unsure of what to do. It was starting to get annoying, and I'd begun to worry that it might actually be somebody I know who needs help. Why else would they be ringing my door past 4am in the morning? I plucked up the courage to answer, albeit with a shaky hand. Hello? No reply. I hear somebody breathing heavily through the phone static. It sounded like a man. Who is this and what do you want? Again, no reply, just heavy breathing. I hung up, thinking that they'd got the wrong flat or the telecom was playing up again. I stayed by the wall phone for a few moments, staring at it, unsure of what to do. The buzzer went off loudly again, and I about jumped out of my skin as I was so tense. Who is this? Why do you keep calling me? All I could hear was static again, thinking that I was getting knocked down gingered, and this is ding-dong ditched for my U.S. friends across the big pond. I went to hang up the phone again. Just before I did, I could hear a muffled voice, and I whipped the phone back to my ear and demanded to know who it was. What was that? I asked. Let me in. Huh? Who are you? Let me in, please. Please. His voice starts breaking into panic. I'm not letting you in. You haven't said who you are. There's people coming to get me. They tried to jump me, and I ran away. It's not safe out here, please. You've got to let me in. Let me in. Help me, please. Immediately, I hung up the wall phone. There was no way I was letting a strange man into my building who wouldn't identify himself, especially as I had to leave the safety of my own locked flat to physically go down to the front porch and open it. My gut told me that his story was complete bullshit, but on the off chance that it was true, I was worried there was about to be a crazy fight on my driveway. I grabbed my mobile phone and dialed 999 as I ran to turn my lights off and shut the blinds again, peeking out through the crack. The man had been ringing my buzzer nonstop since I hung up, but shortly after I turned the lights out, it stopped again. The weird shuffling and thumping noises on the porch started up again, and I explained the situation to the emergency operator on the phone. She urged me to stay calm and stay on the phone with her and said that the police were already aware something was happening. Somebody else in my building had called her earlier to say that a man had been trying to break in the front door after trying all of the ground floor windows down the side and back. They had had a similar call a few nights before as well. That explains the weird noises I kept hearing and why I didn't hear him approach from the street at the front. The noises had now stopped, but I was beginning to panic hard. 
I asked the lady when the police would arrive. She said that they would send out a unit as soon as one was available, and to stay inside with the door locked. After about ten minutes of no activity outside, the motion lights went off. The lady said to stay in the flat, again, like I was going to do anything else, and to call back if he reappeared and that they'd escalate it on their end if he made it into the building. And she ended the call. I sat by the window watching, and sure enough, a few minutes later, the noises started again and the light below came on. I don't think he ever left, or even went down the side to the car park at the back. I still couldn't see what was going on because of the angle of my window. I was about to call the police again when a taxi driver passing by slammed on his brakes and shouted out his window. I stopped to listen. Hey you, what are you doing over there? I dropped you off on the other side of town an hour ago. The taxi driver knew this man. What a twist. Oh hey, I lost my keys. My friends live here, and I'm trying to get a hold of them to let me in. I see the shoulder and leg of the man come around the corner slightly. You told me you were going to sleep it off and you wouldn't be causing any more trouble like earlier. I asked you to get out and you begged me to drop you off at home. So I did, and now you're not at home. I just said I had no keys to get in. I'm trying to stay with my friend. They live here. You could hear that the man was getting agitated and an edge was creeping into his tone as he lied again. So why are you skulking down the side and making a ruckus instead of ringing the bell? What's going on? What are you really doing? The man gets angry at this and storms down the driveway to confront the taxi driver. This is my first time getting a proper look at him, although I could only see the back. He looked like a normal, well-presented young man with brown hair, a black t-shirt, jeans, and trainers. I was surprised. Based on his appearance, I would not think of him as somebody I would normally avoid late at night. I couldn't really make out what was said next as they were both shouting over each other, but I could hear the taxi driver yell, Police! The man suddenly leapt towards his car door. The taxi driver quickly screeched off down the road, leaving the man standing there swearing and seething. It was at this point that I realized that I had been an idiot, frozen by the window watching the scene unfurl beneath me without calling the police to let them know that he was back. I ducked down to pick up my phone, which I must have dropped amidst the commotion. As I spoke to a different operator, the man turned around and strolled down the driveway a little bit, but seemed to hesitate and stopped, staring up at my building. I tried to get a good look at his face, but it was too dark to make out very much detail. He stood there for almost 10 minutes, just standing there and staring up at my window, occasionally swaying from side to side. I knew rationally that he couldn't see me peeking out, but I could swear he was staring right at me, and I knew that he knew I was there. He stopped looking at my window and turned to stare at the door for a few moments. I was begging the emergency operator to get the police out here sooner as I was worried he was going to try the door again. However, I think the confrontation with the taxi driver made him lose his nerve and he was worried about the police showing up. I could hear him make an odd, huffing, snorting noise of frustration as he turned and left my driveway, slowly walking down the street and out of sight. I updated the emergency operator with the direction he headed off and ended the call. 
About 10 minutes later, I saw the police car cruise by with its headlights off, heading the way that he had gone. Unsurprisingly, they never found him, as it had been too long and there were too many side streets and alleys around for him to slip away down. He didn't come back again, but I stayed vigilant by that window until sunrise, crying my little eyes out and chain-smoking like hell. I didn't sleep properly for weeks afterwards, and I get extremely paranoid walking to and from my building now. I've stopped taking the bins down, even if the light is setting slightly. Luckily, I'd already begun the process to move elsewhere for unrelated reasons, so I have to live here for a couple more weeks before I move to a big house with some friends. I liked living on my own before this. Now I'm very grateful to be losing my privacy to have some backup. Shout out to the brave taxi driver who stopped to confront him. You were more helpful than the local police, and I don't know if he would have left if you had not scared him off. I wish I could ask you what the hell happened when you met that man earlier that night. So, strange man trying to trick me into thinking that you were in danger so that I would let you in, let's never, ever meet. Last week after I uploaded episode three, I got a lot of messages from listeners saying that the episode started about halfway through. I don't know what happened, I deleted the file and re-uploaded the same exact file and it worked fine. Um, No problem with my podcast host there, it was probably just some kind of error. Uh, However, I'm still getting messages from people saying that Spotify is still starting halfway through the episode. That tells me that Spotify is not updating their feed with Let's Not Meet. Everybody else, it's working fine, but Spotify is always having trouble. I've always had trouble with Spotify. I don't know what their issue is, but their feeds either half of the time don't update or they're very slow to update. Whenever I drop an episode, I'll get emails from people saying, where's the new episode? It's simply because Spotify is so slow. I don't recommend Spotify as a podcast platform simply because of the issues with updating feeds. And also they're very selective with who they even allow on their platform. They have every right to do that, uh, but that doesn't mean that I like it. Um, There's a lot of podcasts that I listen to that I can't find on there, so I just don't use it. Uh, But if you do want to continue using Spotify and you do want to hear that episode, just head over to letsnotmeetpodcast.com and you can download it directly there or you can try another podcast app. Um, Most other third-party podcast apps use the iTunes feed to update everything, so it should be fine. I downloaded it from my app. I use Podcast Addict and it worked just fine. Uh, With that out of the way, this week you have heard from listener Annabay87, the one who got away... And then you heard A Very Sick Person Living in a Cave by Reddit user Pedostabber. And finally, Let Me In by Emma the Unicorn. And thanks to everyone who signed up for the Patreon in the last couple of weeks since I've started uploading those bi-weekly bonus episodes. Yes, every other week I'm uploading a bonus episode. It's a full-length episode for all my Patreon subscribers that donate to the show. If you'd like to gain access, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast. It's just five bucks a month and you're going to get two bonus episodes every month along with a lot of other bonus content that I'm working on right now. Uh, So far, I've been able to drop a one-shot episode, which I'm going to continue to do where In between those bi-weekly episodes, uh, if I have time, I'll record a story or two and just drop that in the feed for you guys to download and listen to. Uh, I have a lot of other projects in the works that I plan to do for the Patreon. Uh, So head over there if you want more of the podcast. Sound like I said podcast right there. Uh, Maybe I did. 
I've got pie on the mind. Maybe I should start a podcast where I rate and review pies that my mom uh, makes for me and my wife. That's probably why it's on my mind. Uh, I had dinner with my parents last night. My mom brought us this chocolate tort pie that she makes, and it's the greatest thing. Maybe that's it's just on my mind, and I need to go get a piece of pie. So I'm, I'm going to head out, guys, and leave this in the episode because I don't feel like editing anymore. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet a True Horror Piecast. <laughs>